Hey everyone, my name is Tammy, and welcome to the newest episode of 100% Unapologetic. Hey everyone, welcome back to 100% Unapologetic. Life has been so busy, and I wasn't able to manage my time for new episodes. But we're back right now, and we took a little break. And thank you so much for being patient. And today we got a very special guest. I'm laughing because <laughs> I think our laughters can really sum up our relationship, our friendship, and. Uh, she's my homie, my day one, and her name is Vanessa. Vanessa. Hey, hey. Oh, wow. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yo, T, thank you. I gotta say thank you for, um, having me on this podcast that we have been talking about, like, for, like, almost two years, right? That's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. It's always been like an idea that I wanted to do with you, but you know, life's busy. We both have like a lot of shit that we gotta do. Like, first of all, COVID. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> COVID. We got but, COVID. Uh, yeah. We've been in school for a while, even after we graduated from university, and we still went to post-secondary institutions for you know upgrading our skills or whatnot. And then you know, uh, finesse has been like taking her LSAT I was in school before COVID happened and a lot of shit happened and we couldn't make it work but I would definitely have a podcast channel with you for now it's just me because you know sometimes I know it's hard for people to fully commit into something like that just yet because you know we're all kind of like figuring out what we want to do with our lives and it's fine but you know I think when we talk about our friendship we gotta go way back to high school right take it back all the way man I think I can for sure say like the first time I saw you was um uh what was it it was the playoffs right because your team we went to the same school right you guys so um Tammy she was she was at an older grade um so first time I saw her was at a basketball tournament it was the finals it was our at our school and I saw this chick and I was like first of all your shoes are really cool. Oh, the, oh my god, dude. Yeah, dude, I really like your shoes. I know that I definitely remember. I was like, oh my god, your shoes are so cool. What the fuck? Also, I really liked your haircut at that point. I thought it was super cool. Um, But we didn't get to talking like until we were on the same team. And uh, we were on the same uh, tournament, right? Dude, yeah. Well, I really appreciate the love and I got so much love for you too because ever since we we were in the same basketball team, I think we automatically knew that we got like a natural, genuine connection that we have, that we share with each other. We met each other at a very emotional time. You know, high school could be very emotional for certain people and that was the case for us. Emotional in a way that we weren't really mentally, personally thriving in many ways and I think in in that sense we connected so well because I felt that way and you felt that way and it really shows that age is only a number but I think we connect so well because um yeah I I would say like one of the core elements that keep our friendship healthy and emotional and supportive we talk so much about activism uh pretty much 80% of the time, like it's a way for us to express our anger or express our joy for, you know, having that connection, like 
to know that somebody feels the same way when when it comes to uh, certain social or environmental issues that we're going through in Canada because we're we're both like you know as people of color we <laughs> just go through so much yeah for sure I think that growing up in Vancouver especially um even just between you and I even though we are both women of color within the Asian community right there's still different ways in which we discriminate against each other right so I just it's very it's important to me that now in my adulthood, the people around me, there needs to be some awareness of the institutions that shape our relationships, that shape the choices that we think that we can make, the choices that we think we can't make, right? I can't be around people that choose to be in a bubble, right? Thinking like, oh, this doesn't affect me. Um, so I don't have to give a shit about it. Am I saying that this doesn't happen in my community and that we all feel the same way towards um, injustice. No, there are people within my own community that choose to be in a bubble. And it's very unfortunate. And I know that there are different um, factors that shape that point of view. But I, like, I just I can't see myself being with people, whether it's on a friendship level, or a, a romantic level, whatever you there's no way that I can be around someone and be okay with the fact that we're closing ourselves off from the world. Because People don't grow in a vacuum, right? I think when people connect through activism, it could be a way to uh, to learn new ideas and to unlearn the biases that have been hindering our ways to understand somebody who's very different from who we are. I feel like talking about activism or understanding what it is and how we can do things actively to help, um, even just talking about it, it's like a way to inform others about the realities and the struggles that other people are going through that we are not educated about. I think we are still learning not to only talk about these issues because talking could be just talking at the end of the day without actively doing anything. But talking about it is a way to get started to understand, oh, like, what do I care about? What do these people care about? And if we care about the same thing, we have the common ground, how can we actively help in a regular basis? Um, I think signing petitions can really help uh, supporting local businesses um, that are owned by people of color, especially uh, donating, joining a march, standing up for everyday situations. As you said, doing something small on a regular basis like that can also mean you're actively helping out your community or other people's community. Activism, it kind of just, it show, it's an indicator, right, of what is valuable to you. It doesn't have to be about material things, right? It can just, it can also mean how do you see people in the world? How do you treat other people in the world, right? It's not just about posting shit and when when it matters and it's not about taking a picture at the marches and all that shit. Sometimes it's small things like how do you treat people in the service industry, right? It it's small things like that. It that mattered to me, right? Um and it's just it's kind of funny for me to see that there are people that we went to school with that do this stuff, right? They will post when situations like following Breonna Taylor's murder and George Floyd's murder, right? When there was such a huge wave of 
interest in the Black Lives Matter movement and um, just learning about how how the justice system, I don't want to say it's not broken, right? Whether we're talking about America or Canada, right? These justice systems, these legal systems were built on the intention to not just make sure a certain group of people succeed, but to also justify why power over another group of people is fine and why we can keep doing that. And I was talking about how these kind, this kind of interest, it seems to come in waves, right? And for me, what's funny is that people that we went to school with who post this shit, it's not that I've heard. I've heard from their mouth very counter things that were very that are very counter to what you're posting and i get that you know you're in high school you're you know you're a different person yeah i totally understand what you're saying some people they want to stay silent because they want to learn something they want to learn more about the struggles of another person and they want to actively make changes totally understandable but some people they're quiet because they simply feel super indifferent about these things. And it's unfortunate. It does make people like us angry or even upset. But I do think that it's someone's choice to become a better person or a worse person. And everybody is capable of changing for good or worst, right? So when you talk about social media, especially Instagram, Facebook, I can see like the movement that you talked about. Uh, the wave that we see in terms of activism uh, in regards of the Black Lives Matter movement and everything that's going on in the States and even in Canada, we can see that a lot of people are trying and they're actively trying very hard to show and even give empathy and compassion to people who are less fortunate or less privileged and even um, having open discussion about you know black lives matter movement police brutality and systemic racism issues in canada and the states but sometimes i see this and i get pissed but i mean you can't really control what people say and do right whenever a person who was not black indigenous or people of color, whenever they try to show support, it's very easy for these people to come off quite preachy about racism. And it could be intentional or unintentional, but I want to believe that it's unintentional. And I think these behaviors can really piss off people like us, people of color, or these experiences, these microaggressions that we experience in our regular basis, it's our reality, right? So when a person who is not within our own race or ethnicity group, and when they talk about these issues like, oh, it doesn't exist, oh, it, it's another thing, it's not racism, then it can make that person look more preachy or sound very preachy. I understand some people are open to learn, but there's this fine line, right? When you cross that line, it will only backfire the efforts you've been working on for building an allyship with another group. You and I sometimes talk about what's going on with the Black Lives Matter movement. You know, we try really hard to learn. And of course, there are times that we stay silent on social media. 
not because we don't care, but we just feel like there's so much going on and there's so much new things to learn and it's time to step back and make spaces. Like the way I see it is that it's okay if we don't understand their experiences. It's inappropriate to equivocate what the struggle of Black people have been through to our own. That's not to say that it's not important, but it's it's very inappropriate for us to be like, I 100% get what a Black person, like, no, that's that's wrong, dude. You can't say that. We can all mix spaces for those who want to speak up and who haven't been able to speak up. We can listen to understand, but we can't listen to respond. And I feel like whenever we respond um there's this chance that we're going to gaslight people's experiences when it comes to struggles and vulnerabilities i i I will acknowledge that growth is a possible thing for some people right but you are not going to stand in front of me and you are not going to pretend like you didn't tell me that i as a filipino woman do not count as asian Right. And a lot of people, there's several people who have told me that. And it's like, um, first of all, we are, we are, I need to, I need to establish that fact just because our, our traditions might not match up with yours. That doesn't mean that we don't belong in there. And I would like to know why you think that way, because there are other dark skinned mainland Asian people that you would very quickly own as Asian, Right. But for some reason, me being just as dark as them, you don't count me. And I would like to know why you think that way. Is it because a lot of women in my community are being funneled by the immigration system into jobs like nannies and care workers and all that stuff? Is, it, is that why we don't count as Asian? Because we don't fill in the banks. We don't fill in the law schools. We don't fill in these higher ranking jobs, right? And it's not because we aren't we are undereducated, right? It's not because we are, we're all high school dropouts. A lot of people that come from my country that fill in these lower ranking jobs that you like to make fun of while you're sitting in your classroom on the west side of Vancouver laughing at them, right? While you're busy making those jokes, the reason why, the reason why you are able and your mommies especially, are able to feel like they can go to a job, an office job, and go to the country clubs and meet their friends for brunch and have these wonderful, uh, productive lives is because the Canadian government doesn't, it, it still has not provided for the child care for working women in this country. So what do they do? They will go to other countries and they will, they will provide programs that that allow for these foreign women to take care of the children of these women right, that go to job, go to their office jobs and whatnot. But I, it's, it's disgusting. Absolutely. And I feel like this is the whole problem with colorism. It is very persistent and it does not only exist within the Western community and it also exists in Asian communities and even countries. And at a young age, we were already taught or to program to think that one color is better than the other. So it's really difficult for her to be empathetic at that point to think that, oh, like, you know, based on your color, skin tone, uh, you're more likely or prone to be going through conditions that I don't have to go through because of my privilege, because of my skin tone. 
Yeah, and it is extremely problematic because at a very young age, we've been taught to think this way, but we weren't taught to question why. And I think we do have to sum up that colorism and racism are closely intertwined and because, you know, like people always say that, oh, you're talking about the obvious, you know, we obviously know that colorism and racism, they both exist together. But it is something that we rarely question as we are growing up until we have this wave of activism going on. I think it happens in different times, not only in 2020, but it happened before already. The girl who commented on your ethnicity and saying that you're not Asian, right? It shows that at a young age, we've been taught to favor the idea of colorism. And that's why within Asian communities, as you mentioned earlier, we got this inevitable division between different groups of Asians. I think when we have that division within our own communities, we also build hierarchies which support racism. And, you know, I grew up in Hong Kong. It is a place where it is heavily influenced by colonialism and colorism, right? And I've always think that within our own community, the spectrum of different color skin tone is actually like a tool to determine whether or not this person is good enough uh, to determine the socioeconomical status of a person. And it is a way for people to unify in a very exclusive community. And when I was in Hong Kong, like any time before the age of 13, right? So there's this unexplainable division between Hong Kong people and Indians in Hong Kong. And I don't know if it changed these days because I moved to Vancouver for quite some time. You know, growing up in my hometown, I would hear things like, oh, you know, don't visit this particular building or area because there are lots of Indians hanging around and settling in this area. And in the lens of some people, or even a lot of people in Hong Kong, Indians are often perceived as notorious, uh, uneducated, uh, you know, they're people with poor personal hygiene and socioeconomical status. And um, that mindset is influenced by colonialism and uh, colorism. But the thing is, they are Asians too. We are also Asians. But within this community we have in Hong Kong, it's like, uh, it is really relevant to the story that you talked about when it comes to the girl who commented on your skin tone and your status as an Asian. The examples that we talked about, like your story and um, the experiences that I went through in Hong Kong, you know, like things that I've heard or seen, they are examples of colorism and it is a very destructive system that consistently creates division between people. When you and I talk about activism and things that matter or things that we are quite passionate about, it's not that we want to show that, oh, you know, we're smart, we know about these things and whatnot, or like we're politicizing everything. We talk about these things to connect with friends and family or even with a stranger, right? Because I think empathy is what we're lacking right now. And I think activism and empathy, they go hand in hand. Like, I believe that you don't have to be, oh, like a professor or a university student to know to understand how it's like to be empathetic and care about the things that matter to not only yourself, but to like people. Right, exactly. They're just, 
I think what's missing, like you said, it's empathy and just allowing people the space to learn, right, and listen to each other. But I also think something that's also lacking is just respect for another person. And look, there there are going to be times where you do meet someone, you come across someone that politically you probably just don't, you don't fuck with. And you know what? That's that's a democracy, homie. This is what we signed up for. So it's it's okay to have an like, you know, there there can be certain things that you can have a difference of opinion on. You know, what is important to you, you know, maybe you're you're a small business owner or whatever. That's important to you. Maybe that's why we vote different. That's fine. But if at uh, if it comes to situations or not situations, but if it comes to the matter of, I believe this person's life does not mean anything to me based on these things, whether it's, you know, uh, a job they used to do, right? Or um, color of their skin, whatever, religion. If that is where we differ, that I don't have room for that. I won't, I won't compromise on that shit. So I think our listeners are interested or maybe curious about your family background and what you went through or still going through in Canada as a woman of color and maybe and tell us more about yourself and the experiences that you went through with your family. I was born and raised in Vancouver, BC. I grew up around the Mount Pleasant area my whole life. Um, a lot of people, you know, like earlier when my parents were first, they had first moved here, right? Uh, it like it didn't have the best reputation. You have a lot of, you know, even when I was younger, there was still a lot of um, cautiousness that my parents had to have when they were bringing us to parks and shit. Like you can't just let your kids run around with whoever, man. There was still syringes at the park and shit. But like now it's it's cool, which I won't like I won't dog. It is a great community. But um, when I was growing up there, there was still like the local you, you still have families from those neighborhoods owning businesses in those neighborhoods. Right now you have West Side Trust Fund babies coming into our communities, opening up coffee shops and, you know, thinking it's oh, it's so kitschy, this community where it's like it has a lot of character. And it's like you guys literally dog the shit out of us like maybe 10 years ago. I would even say 10 years, 10, 15 years ago, people were like not cool with going to that side of town. They were all just trying to like they they didn't feel safe. And I went to uh, I attended uh, Simon Fraser, actually, for a few years, because, you know, that's what my parents could afford, right? A lot of people, uh, when they when they first hear the way that I talk, um, one of the first questions that I will get is, um, oh, is one of your parents Canadian? And, you know, growing up as a kid, you're like, um, look at me, dude. No, obviously not. <laughs> but as I got older, I, I learned that it was a euphemistic way of asking, is one of your parents white? Because I see the way that you look, and a lot of people that I know that look like you don't speak like you, which is extremely rude. But um, yeah, no, both of my pa- parents are from the Philippines, both college-educated people. And um, it, it wasn't it wasn't a straight path from the Philippines to here either. It was um, 
I know that my dad at some point worked in Saudi Arabia to put his brother through college. Um, and then my mom, she worked in Singapore first as a nanny because the reason why my parents wanted or they, they were trying to, I guess, decided to work in these places because they saw their surroundings and they figured, you know what, if you're not, if you don't have these government connections, you don't have connections to the police, you know, we're going to be stuck in a cycle that I don't want my kid to be in. So they decided for themselves. And I think a lot of immigrant parents where you decide, I think it's better for me to not struggle per se, but like to hustle in another country for a couple more years before I decide to have my kid or even after I have my kid, right? It's just so I can give them a better life than what I got for myself. Um, so my mom worked as a, as a nanny for a couple of years in Singapore. And then she got an employer here. Um, so my mom was the first one to come over here and she worked her ass off. Um, she and my dad met via pen pals. Yeah. So it's like pre-internet, pre like, you know, pre-Skype, all that shit. Um, they met as pen pals. They were in a long distance relationship with each other for 10 years. I I feel like part of what at least my community does based on how I'm looking and I'm listening to how not just my my parents speak about their experiences when coming to Canada, right? But it's also their friends um, from our community, how they speak about their employers when they are coming to Canada. There's some sort of kind of, it's not that you're hiding the the traumatic effect that comes from having an abusive employer but it's kind of like a way in a way you're trying to push it to the back of your mind so it doesn't keep you in the past because you're trying to move forward right um and you don't want your kids to be hurt by that as well going back to your story right like it's so unfortunate to see that some people never try to understand or even realize that we all have different privileges and disadvantages according to our ethnicity and our standing in a certain country. So I think like the girl wasn't educated about how systems and institutions in our society put people like us, especially black, indigenous, people of color into circumstances that make it so much more challenging for us to thrive in many ways. And, right, we can't really blame her for saying such thing at grade 9 or grade 10 at a high school age, right? Because I think at a high school age, we were going through so much other shit too at the same time. And it, we weren't really in a situation or a circumstance where we were capable or we were having so many opportunities to learn more about these issues. And our system isn't so interested in such issues. That's why they never promote it or even like talk about it. Like, you know, in high school, we don't know better. We were so young, but at least now we could totally stand up for something like that. As we grow older, right? Like, we learn from our experiences that not speaking up is also perpetuating the problem and that oppressive systems are still advantaging from our silence. And I understand your anger and frustration, right? Like, it's like, how can somebody look at me and think that my family chose to go through such rough patches 
and to be perceived in such a way in our society. So yeah, I don't know. It's not it's not that it's unspoken in our own community. It's just that I think that like part of it was, you know, like uh, yeah, it was ignorance and yes, I didn't have the tools that I do do now and it's a waste of my time to be like, oh, if I could go back and like say this this and this to her. No, like I'm not I'm not thinking about that. What I guess what upset me was that I considered this girl a friend at the time right and at the time right um I would think that because I had known this girl for a couple years and I have seen her and her family through some rough shit like a near-death experience right and I would think that you know seeing how my family tried our best like on our end to help her out and her family out at a time that was very difficult i do think it's really unfortunate to see that sometimes people didn't end up having a connection or bond with you because there's some sort of prejudice and biases and sometimes these things could be unintentional and sometimes they are intentional in a nutshell We can sum up that education and empathy are extremely important when we feel like we are uneducated or unaware of whatever that is going on. I feel like sometimes when we build a connection with somebody who is different than who we are, it helps us to become more empathetic with the struggles and the realities of what other people are going through so we can become even more understanding. So this episode has come to an end and the next episode is our part two episode. And I just want to thank you for coming back and please feel free to leave a review or rating on Google and Apple podcast. Thank you for checking out this podcast and make sure you hit subscribe for more upcoming content. Don't forget to stay tuned for the next episode and bye for now.